Welcome again to History Obscura. I am your host, Mandy Gardner. Today, our main episode critic, one reformed homeless cat by the name of Tito, had a very successful trip to his veterinarian to clear out the remnants of a cancerous tumor from his little pink nose. He's still quite sedated and silly, so if you hear any strange thumpings during tonight's reading, I do hope you'll forgive him. And send him a little congratulations for being such a brave and strong boy. He'll be back to guarding the estate in no time. Today, I'd like very much to tell you a story about the Black Death, specifically its presence in medieval England. Once upon a time, just like those evil cancer cells that spread throughout poor Tito's nose, the Black Death, or plague, festered visibly within the glands of its human victims. In fact, the widespread presence of Black Death throughout England and the rest of Europe starting in the 14th century was in no small part due to the condemnation and murder of thousands of cats. Cats who otherwise would have happily gobbled up the rats and mice whose fleas infected and killed as many as 25 million people. As the population of England grew in leaps and bounds throughout the Middle Ages, so too did the people's risk of contracting deadly diseases. It was a world of poor personal hygiene, where people used their own urine to launder clothes and other textiles, without hand washing, regular bathing, clean water to drink, and knowledge of cleanly cooking habits. For many years there was no soap. And even when it did appear in English markets, it was ignored by most consumers. People were surrounded by filth, bacteria, and suspicious odors they called miasmas. Infections were very common, and even the simplest injury could potentially become deadly due to lack of proper care. Viruses and diseases spread easily in early medieval England, but there had been nothing like the deadly sickness that made its way to the population in the mid-1300s. The first news the English people received of this sickness came in 1347, according to sources from abroad. Just one year later, in the autumn of 1348, London was struck by the very disease it had been hearing about from abroad. An estimated half of all Londoners, some 40,000 people, were killed by the pestilence. The bubonic plague, so named because of the appearance of painful buboes, or lumps, in the armpits, groin, and neck, were filled with infected cells, which turned orange, then dark purple or black, and then broke in lymph nodes where bacteria would spread into the bloodstream. Death came, after this breakage, in a matter of hours. In some cases, the infection spread into the lungs and was coughed and sneezed out by its victims. In these instances, 
infection between people was possible, and this strain of infection was called the pneumonic plague. There were so many dead from both forms of the disease that these were consigned to be buried in mass graves together, instead of receiving individual funeral rites and burials. People thrown into the mass grave pits were nameless and now impossible to identify. There was no time or space for ritual or offering respect for the dead. Bodies were dealt with as quickly as possible to keep away the stench of rotting corpses. In some places, such as a mass grave unearthed by archaeologists at the Royal Mint near the Tower of London, bodies were piled up five high, with smaller children's bodies squashed into the crevices between adults. Carters rode up and down the streets, with their wagons piled high with bodies, shouting, Bring out your dead! So that households had a chance to empty their bodies. By 1350, the Black Death had killed millions of people, forever changing the shape of England as a whole. In an effort to explain why the disease had struck so violently and unexpectedly, Philosophers and physicians alike pondered whether it were a punishment from God, either upon individuals or England as a nation. Some wondered if this sickness had been foretold in the stars, like some malignant result of evil planetary alignment or star movement. Some even speculated that those of the Jewish faith were somehow poisoning Christians and this theory was believed by enough people to inspire incidents of genocide against Jewish people living throughout England. To people whose lives revolved around religion, seeing so many families, friends, and neighbors suffer and die seemed like the beginning of the end of the world. Survivors and the sick talked of Armageddon, while many English people panicked and were overcome by mania, Scotland was evidently unbothered by plague until 1350, which may or may not have had something to do with the Scottish army's raid into England the previous year. Though it is believed that the symptoms of plague took about seven days to appear, once a bubo was sighted, there were sometimes only a matter of hours left in a victim's life. With people dying by the thousands, a labor shortage grew that was difficult to deal with on the farms. Heavy rain and dwindling numbers of healthy farmers meant that while some crops were neglected altogether, others rotted unharvested in the ground. Soon, there was not only a shortage of workers, but a shortage of food. Survivors struggled to feed themselves, which resulted in an English population of weak immune systems upon which the plague continued to prey. Many people, gripped by fear, began to do public penance as a way to ask God for forgiveness for what they may have done wrong to bring on the disease. Most chose to whip themselves in view of their neighbors and families, earning themselves the collective name of flagellates because of their self-flagellation. 
the most zealous of these people, dressed in white robes and roamed the country, carrying a large cross, and whipping themselves bloody as they traveled. Sir Robert of Amesbury, a contemporary Englishman who witnessed the ritual of the flagellates, wrote the following report. In that same year of 1349, about Michaelmas, over 600 men came to London from Flanders, mostly of Zealand and Holland origin, sometimes at St. Paul's and sometimes at other points in the city. They made two daily public appearances, wearing cloths from the thighs to the ankles, but otherwise stripped bare. Each wore a cap marked with a red cross in front and behind. Each had in his right hand a scourge with three tails. Each tail had a knot, and through the middle of it there were sometimes sharp nails. They marched naked in a file one behind the other, and whipped themselves with these scourges on their naked and bleeding bodies. In a year, the numbers of dead and dying began to fall, but the Black Death never completely went away. For another century, as a result of the serious blow to England's population, the labor shortage hit crisis point and therefore the entire economic system began to change. Land that had traditionally been used for farming was left to grow over, and more grazing animals were introduced to the pastures. Wages dropped sharply just as prices rose. Lawmakers attempted to force a return to pre-plague wages, but the economy was so unbalanced that this proved impossible. Landowners began renting their land and homes out for income, and many people moved in order to find a relatively prosperous nearby urban center with decent jobs. Even once the first outbreak slowed down and seemed to abate, England was not free of the plague. Following 1348, there was another major outbreak of the Black Death every two or three decades. Every time it struck, about 20% of London's population was wiped out. Of course, modern germ theory would not exist until the 19th century, and therefore nobody could understand where the sickness came from or how it was spreading. No useful medicines existed to counteract such an acute and powerful infection within the body and so plague victims often died after a great deal of suffering. The outbreak occurred again and again over the course of a year, a decade, and then the century. The number of infected victims was always worse in the heat of the summer, especially in crowded cities. The royal family and other wealthy aristocrats who could afford to leave the city during the summer made a habit of doing so before plague season hit each year. Every summer, these lucky few retreated to the relative safety of the isolated countryside where infection rates were low and minimal social interactions kept the germs at bay. As for the poor of the cities, who could neither afford to stop working 
nor find affordable accommodations outside of their homes. They simply had to stay put and pray for God's protection. The devastation of the Black Death was so great that it began to unravel feudalism, which was the backbone of English society. A system based upon indentured servitude, feudalism bound poor farmers and workers to the landowners. Unable to provide enough food and supplies to feed their indentured servants, however, many landlords of the plague era had little choice but to allow the peasants to leave and roam the countryside looking for food, shelter, and jobs. In this small way, plague forced England society to rearrange itself in such a way that fewer and fewer of the country's poorest citizens would live a life of forced service. It also motivated English, European, Asian, and African minds to push the boundaries of known medical science in looking for answers. Eventually, the Black Death was understood more in terms of a virulent germ than a punishment from an irate creator god. Here's an excerpt from the book, The Bubonic Plague, written by Walter Wyman, Surgeon General of the Marine Hospital Service, 1900. For the cure of plague, there is at present but one accredited remedy, the curative or antitoxic anti-pest serum, Yersin and Rue. The preparation of the Yersin serum is in brief as follows. Horses are treated with progressively increasing doses of the toxins of plague prepared by subjecting virulent bullion cultures of the bee pestis to a degree of heat which ensures their destruction. These injections at first have a very profound effect upon the horse, and in time a certain immunity is conferred. When the serum has reached a point of strength, when a dose of 1 to 10 cubic centimeters will protect a mouse of 25 grams weight against living cultures at a three times mortal dose of toxin, the serum is considered to have acquired full antitoxic power and is not only protective or prophylactic, but also antitoxic and curative. The last documented outbreak of plague in England occurred in Suffolk from 1906 to 1918. The Yersin serum, described above, developed in part by Frenchman Alexandre Yersin, had dubious results, possibly due to its incorrect manufacture by multiple groups, but it moved the scientific understanding of plague, other diseases, and indeed vaccine science significantly forward. In 1928, London scientist Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin, the world's first antibiotic and a sure cure for the Black Death. That's all for tonight, friends. Much love from us here at History Obscura. Thank you so much for joining me. Good night. Mm -hmm.